Ephesians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, there are a lot of churches that just canceled their services this morning, and I'm not faulting them for that. Um, <clears throat> it, it was, uh, the temptation was there um, for us to do the same, but I knew there's enough here that, that had had it and gotten over it and felt okay being here, that I, we, we just felt like we needed to move forward and move through this thing. And um, so I'm glad that you're here this morning, even though it looks much different and feels much different um, than it normally does. Um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together. You can't compare um, what we do this morning to what you can experience at home in front of a television. It just does not replace it. And those folks that are at home this morning um, would tell you that. They would rather be here. Um, last Sunday... Uh, well, let me just back up. We've done this series in Ephesians now for um, two or three months. The first three chapters talk about who we are because of what Christ has done for us. All of that's very doctrinal stuff. Um, um, just tells us this is what Jesus did and this is who you are because of what Jesus did. When you put your faith in him, um, this is who you are in the eyes of the Father. In chapter 4, the, 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 the script changed completely from who you are in Christ to how that applies to your life and how you flesh that out, practically speaking. And Paul had a lot of his letters that he wrote in this fashion that dealt with the doctrinal side of things first, the practical side of things second. And so, and, and, and one thing that, I, that I've learned in this study, I've preached all over Ephesians before. I don't think I ever spent as much time in the first three chapters as I did in this series um, but those last three chapters we've talked about a lot, the practical application of things. But I don't think I ever saw how many times the word, uh, that Paul used the word walk. Walk worthy, he started chapter 4. Walk worthy of this vocation. If you have been called in Christ, if you are a child of God, chosen by the Father, cleansed by the Son, filled with the Holy Spirit, if that's who you are, then you ought to live your life in a way that marks you as being different in the eyes of the world. And he told them that you ought to walk worthy of that calling that you have been brought into. And we talked about all the different ways. And he didn't always use the term walk, but he did in a lot of these, that we're to walk in unity, um, that we're to walk, in, that we're to walk in, in purpose, that God is building his kingdom on the earth in and through his church, that we're to walk in holiness, that we're to walk in love toward each other, um, especially within the church and even to those outside the church, that we're to walk in the light, um, that the way that we live our lives ought to radiate and manifest um, the, the Spirit of Christ that lives in us, that we ought to walk in wisdom, uh, especially towards those that are on the outside looking in, walk in wisdom towards those that are without, that are outside of the church, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We've only got a short time in this world to make a difference. Even if we live to be 70 or 80, those folks that are 70 or 80 that are part of our congregation today, ask them how quickly their life has been lived. And they'll tell you it passes by um, faster than you think it will. So we've just got a short time to make a difference in this world. We don't know when the Lord's going to call us home and we don't know when the Lord's going to come back for his church. So walk in wisdom towards those that are without. And last week, I, in fact, it was, it was part of that whole um, walk in wisdom message, the last thing that he said in verse 21 was that we submit ourselves to one another. And then he began to develop that theme of walking in submission through the rest of chapter 5 and into the first part 
of chapter 6. And when you talk about walking in submission, um, first that means that we walk in submission to God, that we, that we submit ourselves to God. And the way that we submit ourselves to God is that we submit ourselves unto the instructions of His Word and to the commands and the principles and the precepts of His Word. If we're going to submit ourselves to God, then we have to submit ourselves to what He said. And, and, in fact, the, um, James made it clear that unless we submit ourselves to God, we can't resist the devil. We submit ourselves to God first, and then we can resist the devil and he'll flee from us. So submitting ourselves to God means submitting ourselves to the instructions of His Word. And then when He says to submit ourselves one to another, that is also that we submit ourselves to each other in accordance with his word. And he's given outlines in the church about what that kind of structure looks like. And he's also given outlines in the home what that structure looks like. And he's given instructions in culture as a whole what that kind of submission looks like. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through um, chapter 9 of, of uh, or verse 9 of chapter 6, he lays out the order for our lives outside of the church, at home and at work primarily. And last week we talked about the husband's role. Now the husband has to submit himself to Christ, um, but, but his role in the home is one of being the representative or the image of Christ in the home. And the Bible said that the husband is the head and the savior of his wife. Now we call Jesus our Lord and Savior. So the husband takes on a role in the home of being the image of Christ or the representative of Christ in the home as the head of the home and as, and as the Savior of the home. And we talked about the role and the responsibility of the husband in that regard is that he is the love, honor, and cherish his wife. Now Paul, in, in this particular passage, he talked about loving and cherishing. Uh, but if you go into what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, he, he brought in the idea of honoring. So we're to love, we're to honor, and we're to cherish, which is where those words came from in the popular marriage vows. Um, and we repeat those to each other. So there's a mutual love, honor, and cherishing that goes on between a husband and a wife, but it's the husband's responsibility to be the one um, to set that role or to set that example within the home. And he's, he, he's not, we don't get to choose how we do that. Um, the example has already been set for us uh, in the example of Christ. Husbands are to love their wives, honor their wives, cherish their wives, even as Christ also loves, honors, and cherishes his church. And um, I'm not going to preach to you again, but remember that it was men, it was the love of Christ that sought us. It was the love of Christ that bought us. It's the love of Christ that cleanses us, and it is the love of Christ that changes us. Um, as we submit ourselves to that love, we are, we are constantly changed by him. And so this week, um, we're going to look at the role and the responsibility of the wife in the home according to God's design. I'm always more comfortable preaching to the husbands than I am the wife. Um, but the scripture speaks to both roles, and so we're going to speak to both roles. Um, this is God's design for the home, and this is God's design for the marriage in the home, the role of the husband we talked about last week and the role of the wife this week. And in verse 22, um, he begins, we didn't start with the wives because I believe the husband bears the primary responsibility. But verse 22, Paul says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as 
unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So, here's the way we're going to look at this this morning. If husbands are to be the representation of Christ in the home, as the head of the home and the Savior of the body, then wives have, are, are called to be, according to God's design, the church in the home, in that they set the model of submission to the husband um, as the church um, sets the model of submission to Christ. And so a wife should be the church, the image, the picture, the design of the church in the home in the way that they submit to and reverence their husbands. The home needs a model of submission. Now, in, in, in the husband's role, the home has a model of headship or lordship and salvation. If the husband is fulfilling his role in the home, taking that responsibility seriously, pattern his life after the life of Christ, then the home has a model of Christ at home. Now the, now the home needs a model of the church in the home. And so the role of the wife as the model of the church in the home and how they submit to and reverence their husband is that model of submission. Now we've said this before, and I don't know if we—I don't know if you ever really thought about it in this light. And I know that I hadn't until studying today. But our culture is sadly lacking in, in in models for submission. And one of the primary problems in our culture today is a lack of respect for authority. Take a look around in our culture. Ask the school teachers. Um, this is a different, we're living in a, in a completely different time than the time that I grew up in. In, in the way that kids are being raised and the things that they're being, that they're being taught, they're, that they're seeing in the home. And respect for authority is sorely lacking in our society. And, and so the home needs to set a model of submission. Um, and when it doesn't, when, 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 when there's no model of submission in the home, it trickles out and affects all of our culture in a negative way. Remember the term that we talked about last week. The whole, and this, is, this term is repeated over and over in, in the role here of the woman. It's the same term um, either when he says that, that you um, submit yourselves or that you be subject unto. It's the same Greek word. It's hupotasso. Last week we talked about it. It, is, it was originally a military term that means under a range. It was the way the military is structured. They're, they have an arrangement of authority um, that trickles down. And when you apply that in a, into a non-military setting, it, it means a voluntary submission to a specified order or arrangement that we arrange ourselves under. And all God is setting up for us is the arrangement of the home in that in that. Christ is over all, the husband is under Christ, the wife is under the husband. This is all about an orderly arrangement by God's design about how the home should function and it becomes then a model for all of society to function. So, so this whole idea of being submissive to authority is part of the divine order. Um, you can argue with it if you want to, but you ain't arguing with me, you're arguing with God. 
Because he has arranged our creation not to be chaotic and confused, but to be orderly. And so what is modeled in the home is carried into the schoolhouse. And if there's no respect for authority, no submission to authority in the home, guess what? Your kid is going to have a problem when they get into the schoolhouse recognizing that there are authority figures there that they need to show respect for. And, and, and when, they get into, when they get out of school and they get into the workplace, they got to understand, I'm an employee and I have an employer, and there is a role that I take when I submit myself to the authority of another or I'm not going to have a job for very long. And, uh, and if they fail in that regard, if they still don't learn to respect authority, they're going to have a problem with the law in general. And, um, and we've got a culture right now. You ask the guys that are in here in law enforcement, there's no respect for authority in that regard anymore either. But it's a trickle-down effect. If it's not being taught in the home, it's not going to be learned at school. If it's not being learned at school, it's not going to be learned in the workforce. If it's not learned in the workforce, it's not going to be learned in society in general and so you got a whole lack of submission to authority across the board let me tell you what that looks like absolute chaos and confusion and disorder and disunity and ain't that what we got and so what we got to do is get back to the basics of how God designed everything and the, and the home is the first institution created by God and what you learn in the home uh, spills over into the church and, and creeps it out the doors into the culture. And so what we do in the home matters. In fact, I can teach one thing in the church, and if you teach something else at home, what your kids are going to learn is primarily what they learned at home, not what they learned at the church. My job is to reinforce what you teach them in the home. Our role in the church as teachers and as preachers is to reinforce what you have taught your kids at home. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when the Bible talks about how God created the woman and why God created the woman. In fact, in all of his creation, when he said it was good until he looked at man, who I believe was created perfect, but when he looked at man, he said it's not good for man to be alone. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone and I will make him a help meet for him a help meet a help mate someone that's suitable to come alongside him so genesis chapter 2 verse 18 implies that the woman was created to be man's primary helper to complement him and then keep this role in mind because the, 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 the scripture keeps pointing us to the fact that marriage is supposed to be a picture of the role of christ in the church and, and, and you understand that Christ is our head and our Savior, but he has chosen us to come alongside him and to be his helper in the sense that we're taking the gospel to the world. So we're coming alongside Christ as his helpmate. Um, and, and I'm sorry, but feminism has negatively affected our culture and even our church in the way that they have presented submission and, and the role of the woman in the home and in society in general. And, and when, when, when I use a term in the pulpit like a woman was designed to be a man's helper and to compliment him, the secular feminists of our day bristle at that. It offends them. 
I want to tell you, ladies, it ought not to offend you because that's God's design. That is the Creator's design. So don't bristle at that. In fact, the same word that is used for the woman being the helpmate for the man is used for what God does for us. God helps us. If you look at the Greek word for the Holy Spirit, it's parakletos, which means one who comes alongside. A lot of the translations um, have, has, have translated, um, in the King James it's translated most often comforter, but in, in a lot of the modern translations, the, probably the more accurate translation is that the Holy Spirit is our helper. You can't do this thing without Him helping you. You can't be who, uh, who you've called to be without the Holy Spirit helping you. And the man can't be who the man has been called to be unless he has the woman coming alongside of him to help him. It's not a derogatory term. It's not a term that lowers or lessens the value of the woman at all. The woman is an essential helpmate to the man. It is the completion of God's creation. I said it last week. It's the crown of God's creation. The last thing we know that God created was the woman. And he was finished with the creation because we had all that we needed to be all that God had commanded and created us to be when he gave us the woman to be the helpmate. So all of those words, submission, subjection, helper, they don't have anything to do with the wife's value. They, they don't set a lower value on the woman than they do the man. They're all statements of the woman's role and of her function. And here's the reality is that all of us have to submit ourselves to authority. In some way, shape, form, or form, we are all being submissive in some way to someone else. And when we do that, we all benefit from that. Um, I submit myself to the authority of, uh, of this church body as a whole. Because you tell me to come and go. I mean, you literally can ask me to leave tomorrow, and I have to submit to that. I can't force myself upon you as your pastor. Um, so I'm submissive to you in the fact that, that you have called me to be your pastor, and you can call me not to be your pastor. I'm submitted to the ordaining council of our association. If I get off track from the Word of God, you can report me to our association, and they'll revoke my credentials from me and, to, and say I'm no longer qualified to preach the, the, the Word in in Free Will Baptist Churches. So I'm submitting to authority. I'm submitting to the authority of our rulers uh, as far as they rule us righteously. I'm to obey the laws of the land. So we're all submitting ourselves and are subject to authoritative figures in our life. And that is for the benefit of everybody. And so when wives submit themselves to their husbands, when they're subject to their husbands, when they're helpers to their husbands, they benefit from that submission to authority, and the entire home benefits from that submission. So the wife's role and function at home is primarily to, is primarily to teach us, especially in the context of the church, what submission looks like, what subjection looks like. If, if you want to teach your child how to submit themselves to Christ, subject themselves to Christ, then recognize the headship of the home, of the husband in the home. Honor that, and you teach your children what submission to authority, God-designed, God-ordained authority looks like. 
The better you model that in the home, the better the children are going to understand the idea of submission in general, but especially to Christ. Now, here's another uncomfortable word. Y'all might not believe it, but, but all of these words make me uncomfortable. I can preach to men because I are one. But preaching to women is, is, is different, and it's always uncomfortable to me to preach on these words because I know that our culture has taught you to bristle at these words. But we're not to be taught by our culture. We're to be taught by his word and by his design. But another uncomfortable word is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, where it says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So you got submission, subjection, you got the word helper, and now you've got this word reverence. And I know that all of these terms have been abused. I know that some have used these terms the wrong way. But, but you can't disregard and discount that it's still the words that God gave to us for the wife's role and function in the home. Now I looked up the word. I knew what it said, but I wanted to look it up again, study it again. It literally is the word in the Greek. It is phobia. Now, it's, it's got a very diverse usage in the Bible. 62 times the word is translated fear. 23 times the word is translated be afraid. Five times the word is translated be afraid of. And only one time in the scripture is it translated reverence. And that's the one that you just read. And there are two other times that's, that are miscellaneous that I didn't even include. But the definitions, if you go and read in the Strong's Concordance or the Blue Letter Bible, what the original Greek word means, the definition is a pretty broad definition. It's not, it's not a very specific This is what it means. It's a pretty broad definition. You, you know, we get our word phobia, we understand fear of. But when you look at the original Greek word, there's three, there's three basic definitions behind it. And the first is being terrified. The second is being awestruck. And the third is show respect to or venerate. Now, I do not want my wife to be terrified of me, nor do I believe Christ wants the church to be terrified of him. I, in fact, I don't, know any, I don't know any reason for me to be terrified of Christ because he has proven to be for me, not against me. Even his discipline, I understand, is there as a safeguard in my life. So, and I don't want Cindy to be terrified of me. I don't want her to shrink back in fear of me in that way. Now, I would love for her to be awestruck by me. I'd love when I walk in the house after church this morning for her to say, there's my man. I'd love for her to post stuff on Facebook like, he's my rock. And, and, and there's a good chance that if I learn to love her like Jesus loves, that she'll be awestruck from time to time anyway when I'm doing it as I should. 
But the thing that I need from her is for her to respect me. That's what I need. Some guy wrote a book, Love and Respect. That's, that's what the woman needs, love, the affectionate, loving, honoring, cherishing kind of love that Christ has for the church. And the man needs to be shown respect to, to be reverenced in that sense of esteeming him, valuing him, regarding him, admiring him, considering him because of the role that he has been given by God in the home. That's what it means. I think the angriest I've ever been at Cindy was one time when I felt like she disrespected me in a very public environment around other people. And and I'm going to be honest with you, she could have said what she said in private to me and her, and it probably would not have had the same kind of effect that it had on me. But what she said was in a mixed company of people, men and women, and it really cut me deep. And and listen, I've cut her deep before too, so I'm not throwing off on my wife. She's not here to defend herself, but she knows the day that I'm talking about. She's probably never seen me that angry before. But it was because I just felt like there was a measure of disrespect shown uh, in that company of people that wounded me. We need it. God created man with that innate need to, uh, for, for women to understand the role that God has called us to is one that you esteem and value just as much as we are supposed to esteem and value the role that God has called you to. So, wives, if you want your husband to, if you want your husband to lead... And I don't know any I don't know any woman that doesn't want their husband. Let me let me rephrase that. Cuz there are cultural women and then there are church women. I don't know any church woman, any God-fearing, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church woman who does not want their husband to step up and be the spiritual role model and leader that God has called him to be in the home. Women want that. I think and I think women crave that. They don't want and, and I, I, let's, let's just be honest. Women have led the way spiritually for centuries even in our country. I, women have been the glue that have held the churches together. Um, I, I remember t- sitting and talking with Sister Mamie um, when she said that there was a time when there wouldn't be but four or five people that showed up for church on Sunday morning and they were all women. And they sat on the front steps and they read the scriptures and they sang and they prayed. And so what we, you know, the, the, the blessings that we're reaping right now have a lot to do with women taking on the role of leadership. Even though God may not have uh, equipped them or called them, they've stepped up. But for the most part, I think women as a whole want the man to be who God has called him to be. The, the, the example and the image of Christ in the home. So if you want your husband to lead in that way, I think respect gives him the fuel to want to be that and to be that lead. Now, that's true in our other relationships. And, and just a few examples. Um, if you have employees that have no respect for, their, for the authority figure at work, however, if you've got a supervisor... And you got a group of 10 people under that supervisor, 
If those 10 people have no respect whatsoever for that supervisor, I don't care how good a supervisor he is, he's going to crash. It's, it's, his work is not going to, he's not going to be successful in his supervision if he doesn't have the respect of those that are under him. A coach and a team. Um, you know, I'm convinced there are, there are talented athletes on every team. But if you have athletes that do not respect their coaches, um, don't submit themselves to his authority, it won't ever be a winning team. That coach is never going to be as successful as he could be because the team doesn't show him um, the respect that should come with the authority, with the position. Even with a pastor and congregation, if you don't have any respect for me, I can't lead you. I can't. And, 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 I, and you know, I understand that I can destroy your respect for me. But you can also just choose not to respect me. And there are people like that. I'm not, I ain't got to submit myself to him. Um, I don't care who he is. I don't care what kind of title's over his name. I don't have to respect him. And if that's, the, if that's the general consensus of the church body, then the church will always be crippled. If, if the pastor can't be respected by the people that he's trying to lead, um, he'll never succeed in ministry. And I get it. And I get it because... I know that we as men, in a lot of ways, have failed to be Christ at home. But the objection, and I've heard it from church ladies. I'll respect him when he becomes respectable. And you know, he, by the same token, he can say the same thing. I love her when she becomes lovable. And we all know that we that, that ain't nobody always lovable. I shouldn't say nobody, but most of us have times when we're not lovable. But I want to point you to a verse. We read part of it last week, and I'm going to point you to the other part because this is Simon Peter's take on, on that whole idea of, of reverence and respect. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Verses 1 through 6 deal with the, with the wives in the home. I think it's always been interesting to me that Paul writes as a pers- from the perspective of a man who's never been married. And Peter writes from the perspective of a man who was married. But in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, he said, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Submit yourselves to them. That if any obey not the word... If you, if, if, you, if you have a husband who is not living according to the word of God, if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation or by the lifestyle of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, there's that word, Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of the hair and of wearing of gold and putting on of apparel. That's not a prohibition to wear jewelry. It is putting the value of a woman's beauty where it belongs, not on the outside but on the inside. Let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves 
being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So I don't have time to break all that down, but here's what Peter's saying. This is in answer to the objection. I'll respect him when he becomes respectable. Peter said, if you have an unbelieving husband who will not hear the word of God, you, by the way you live your life, can win him. You have the opportunity to present to him what the church looks like in the home. So it's not a matter of worthiness. It's not a matter of whether the husband is worthy or not. It's a matter of obedience to Christ and being a good witness to your husband. And I, you heard me say this last week. If a, if a husband's love can change his wife like Christ's love has changed the church, then I believe a wife's respect can have a profound effect on a husband, believing or unbelieving, and giving him an ambition and the, and the ability to be who God has called him to be. Now, y'all, I, I, you, if you've been here for any number of years, you've heard me share that, the testimony over and over and over again. My grandfather, was on my mama's side, was a good man, a hard-working man, but he was a hard-drinking man. The only time I didn't like him was when he was drunk. Why I became a drunk later, I won't ever understand that because I loved my granddaddy except when he was drinking. Mother's Day 1976 was the, was the first time I can ever remember my granddaddy being in church. And my grandma had 11 kids, and they were all there that day because they always gave a prize away for the, with the woman with the most kids in church, and grandma always wanted to win the prize. And, and it was pretty much a shoe-in every year. Everybody was kind of disgusted by we can't beat 11 youngins in the church at the same time. And the preacher then stood up and started preaching when my granddaddy walked in the door. And I promise you, can, you could have heard a pin drop. What's James Roddenberry doing in church? And when he sat down, he was crying. And when the invitation was given, he went to the altar. And his testimony after that day was, I don't know what that preacher was preaching. All I know is what I saw Bernice living. She didn't harass him. She didn't, she, she put up, listen, I remember one time he went missing for a couple of days as a child. They went all over the woods looking for him. And he came jumping across the fence, whistling and drunk. Grandma lived in that. And she took her kids to church in that. And she loved her husband and respected her husband in that. And she, by her patience, won him to Christ. And I believe my granddaddy is in heaven today because my grandma took that role of a submissive woman, reverencing her husband very seriously. And my granddaddy was saved because of it. So, let me, let me just close with this. And, I, and this ain't original to me. I read it somewhere, and I can't even find a source where I found it from this morning. But I, I've got notes that I've put together for marriage counseling and stuff through the years. What does respect look like in the home? 
What does reverence look like in the home? How, how can a wife show her husband that she values and esteems him for his role and his responsibility in the home? Just five words, and I'm not going to expound on them greatly, but acceptance. When you married him, you, th these words were probably said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, keep the only unto him, so long as you both shall live, I do. Now, Cindy married me knowing what kind of man I was. And I put her through hell for seven years. When everybody else was telling her to walk away, she said, I do. I said, I do. And I do. Now, she didn't accept the way that I was living my life. But she accepted me. She accepted my role. As her husband and as the father to our children. So, acceptance. When you married him before God, you said, I do, and you still should. Assistance. God gave Adam a helpmate. And I know women are busy. I know women are stretched thin. Especially, listen, I was blessed to grow up in a home where my mom didn't have to work outside the home. And the little short time that she did was the most miserable years of my entire childhood. When your daddy cooks beef stew with frozen french fries and makes you eat it you pray for your mama to quit work and come home and she did I understand women are spread thin and, and we as men ought to understand that more and step up and help them when we can and I teach this in, my, in the couples class that I teach that nobody ought, to say that the, nobody ought to say that their work is done until the job is finished. If, if, I'm, if I'm working on a pool and it ain't done, you ain't done. If you're working for me, you, you work until, I'm, until we both finished, all right? And that's the way it all looked like in the home. We all roll up our sleeves and just get it done. Not say that's your job or that's my job. Just get it done. But, but listen to me, ladies. Assistance. Don't put your husband at the bottom of your list. He needs you to come alongside of him and help him, not hinder him. Admiration. You can be a constant critic to him, or you can look for reasons to be consistently his cheerleader. Find the things that he does well and praise him for them. It'll make him want to do better in some other ideas, in some other areas. I've used this illustration before. When I had boss men that would come and criticize everything I did, it didn't make me want to do any better. But when I had a boss man that came alongside and said, you do good work, I appreciate you. Man, I just wanted to please him more. Admire him. Don't always be looking for a reason to criticize him. Adaptability, and this I know where this one came from. William Harley, who wrote um, some marriage books and uh, author of several marriage books and a researcher on marriage, and, and when, he, when he listed the top needs of men, and I'll let you guess what number one is. We'll talk about it in a little bit, just a second. <laughs> but number two on the list of men's 
top needs were recreational companionship. I want my wife to come alongside me and let's just have fun together. And let's, let's face it, marriage can be a chore. And so you need to set aside some time just to be with each other recreationally in the sense of enjoying. When our, that's what our dating life was built around. That's where our marriage was formed on that ground of let's get together and go to the movies. Let's get together and go kayaking. Let's get together and go fishing. Let's get together and go shopping. <laughs> and, and men, I think we have to become adaptable too. My wife don't want me to follow her around in the store. I don't like my wife following me around in Academy or Bass Pro. She makes me nervous. <laughs> and she's like, what are we looking at? And I'm like, I know how you feel now when I'm following you around in the clothing store. Because she ain't never looking for nothing. She said, when I see it, it'll hit me. And I'm like, I don't get that. Put me on the hunt for something. You want a blue dress? Adaptability, though. Just, just come alongside. Cindy goes hunting with me. She don't ever shoot anything. I gave up on that a long time ago. But man, she looks good in a deer stand and camouflage. And I like it when she sees the deer came out and it excites her. We, we bought that Harley Davidson. I'm not encouraging you to go buy a Harley. Find something to do together. Adapt to one another. I think it's, I think it's a dangerous thing when couples go different ways to have their fun. Find something to do together. And then availability. And, and I said, this you don't have to guess what the number one need that a man has. He needs physical intimacy just as much as you need emotional intimacy. When a man's meeting the needs of his wife emotionally and a woman's meeting the needs of her husband physically, um, you, can, you, can, you can mutually, you can feel close, you can feel connected, you can feel wanted, and you can both feel respected. Now, you can take all five of those things, acceptance, assistance, admiration, adaptability, and availability, and it's just as applicable to the man and the husband as it is the wife. That ain't a one-way street. That ain't the only, it ain't just women that need to do this for their husbands. Husbands should also do the same things for their wife. So let me just close with this. Marriage is God's design. It ain't man's. And I don't care what man tries to do to re redefine it or change it. It ain't going to work because they didn't make it to begin with. Marriage was made by God. For this call shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. One of the most often repeated verses in all of the Bible is that God designed and created marriage for his own glory. And for this world's good. It's God's design. And it's meant to be ultimately a picture of the relationship that exists between Christ and the church. Now, if God knows how he created it, then he knows what it needs to be all that it should be. you agree with that? If God made it, he knows how to make it work. He knows how to make it healthy. He knows how to make it strong. He knows how to make it beautiful. So you, we can ignore his instructions. We can, we can toss all this out the window and say, I'm, I'm going to love her when she respects me. And you can say, I'll respect him when he loves me. And we can toss all of God's instructions completely out the window. And we're going to miss out on God's plan for a beautiful marriage.
And I say to you, husbands, you can't force her to change by withholding love, honor, and cherishing. You will not force her to change by withholding that from her. In fact, I will tell you just the opposite. It's probably going to be true. You're going to entrench her against you. And wives, I would say to you, you can't force him to change his ways by withholding submission, respect, submission, subjection, respect. You can't force him to change by saying, I'm not going to respect him until he becomes respectable. All you're going to do is entrench him against you. And the devil's going to win the battle for your marriage. And while we waste time waiting on each other, the wedge just gets driven deeper and deeper and deeper. God's given us the remedy. If I believe, husbands, if we love our wife the way Christ loves the church, it will inspire her. Listen to me. This is not, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't preaching rocket science. I'm just telling you what the book says. If we love our wife like Christ loves the church, then, I mean, that's how he won us. Would you agree with that? That's how he won us. He, he laid his life down on the cross to show us how much he loves us, honors us, and cherishes us. If we love our wives that way, we inspire her to submit to us and respect us. And wives, by the same token, your respect for your husband will inspire him to love you and to cherish you. And, and, and so we got to quit trying to fix each other. And let's take the role and responsibility that God has given us and walk in that and watch it work. That's how God designed it. And I don't believe it's going to work as it should any other way. Amen. Let's stand together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now...